Okay, this is Pastor Paul Jennings with Pastor Paul's House of God podcast number five. Ten indictments against the contemporary church. Welcome to today's hogcast. I want to start off with um, just a little illustration today. So let's say you buy a newspaper and you sit down to read it. And, and as you turn its pages, uh, you come across an article that says that, that almost 60% of British adults are now becoming Christians. And your heart is really blessed and you feel you know an excitement rising within you. And you draw the conclusion that, well, the church must really be going places for this to happen. Praise God. But later on that week, you find out that the article was false, that it was it was fake news. Now, does the fact that it blessed you, that it made you feel good, even matter now? Christianity is about truth. It's not about how good others can make you feel. Ecclesiastes says there is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. And it really is time that the truth about the contemporary church, particularly here in the West, was addressed and confronted. It is a time for change in the evangelical church, a time for reassessment, I think, and re-evaluation. Therefore, I have 10 indictments that I want to lay before the church and 10 indictments that define what I mean by the contemporary church. And maybe you've raised these very concerns with the leadership of your church and you've been told something like, well, you need to understand that you know, Paul was speaking into a different situation than we have or... Well, you just need to know the Greek and you've come away feeling just very frustrated. Um, As a pastor, I come into contact with all sorts of people. I meet other pastors and I hear their stories and their stories tell me that there are fundamental problems with the contemporary church. And this is something that I was already aware of. I just wasn't aware of how bad things had become. Now, this is a generalisation. There are exceptions, but I would say that the things I'm about to address are generally true. And you'll also see how one issue gives rise or gave rise to another. One error begets a second and a third and so on. And what we get is a major problem. Uh, It's arrived at incrementally, but it's there. So for the sake of my brothers and sisters in Christ, and for the sake of the name and the honour of Christ, here are my ten indictments against the contemporary church. Number one, the contemporary church is disconnecting or has disconnected from the historical church. 
So for Christians to be ignorant of history in general, whilst you know that's nothing to boast about, it is perhaps forgivable. But ignorance of the history of the church to which you belong is without excuse. Too many in the contemporary church know virtually nothing about the history of the Christian church. The, the personal sacrifices of men like William Tyndale and Thomas Cranmer, the lives of men like Hudson Taylor and William Booth, John Wesley, uh, women like Amy Carmichael, Gladys Aylward, Corrie Ten Boom. If they understood that there is a legacy of faith and works on which the church today is resting, then the contemporary church would look very different. Christians must appreciate that that the liberty of worship, the preaching of the word, even, even the basic right to disagree, have been paid for in the blood of Christian martyrs. In the 1500s, during the English Reformation, 300 Christians were burned to death in England in three years. One man was burned just simply for owning a copy of the Lord's Prayer in English. Do you know their stories? Do you know their names? What they stood for? What they were standing against? Have you read their works, their Bible commentaries, their journals, their theology? Do you know the heresies that were debated? How how the church's acts of charity, the preeminence of the word, the understanding that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, was rediscovered and re-established. Do you know of Luther and Wycliffe? Sometimes the attitude is, well, these were just men. Then what are you? Should we discount your words, your thoughts, your actions, because you are just a human being? Are you not made in the image of God? Do you not have his spirit within you? Does God not raise up pastors, preachers, teachers, prophets from among men? These names of the, of the past, these are your brethren, your brothers and sisters in Christ. As much as the Christian who sits next to you in the pew, you are a partaker of the legacy that they left and they deserve your respect. Let me urge you to educate yourself in their ways and in their teaching. Paul says, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Learn to follow their example. Be men and women of faith and sacrifice. Learn the history of your people. A philosopher once said, those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. Sadly, this has become a reality both in doctrine and practice in the contemporary church. Indictment number two. The contemporary church has favoured pragmatism over principle. The modern church has fallen into the trap of measuring success by numbers. The more people attending the church, the more successful the ministry. Yet the disciples asked Jesus in Luke 13, 23 to 24, Lord, are there 
few that may be are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight or the narrow gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. So if many seeking to enter cannot, and if the gate is straight or narrow, then the number of genuine believers is going to be smaller rather than larger. Once the church has convinced herself that bigger is better, then evangelism, church service, pastoral care, teaching, in fact, most of the activities that a church does are going to be centred around how do we bring in and keep the maximum number of people our church can hold and how do we avoid having them leave? Necessarily, that will involve offering something that will have a very low chance of offending. Now, if people have come in without being offended or convicted, then it's likely they have not heard the gospel. Since Jesus, as Peter says, is the rock of offence. What do they get instead? A watered down message and some kind of entertainment, I guess you would say. An extended time of singing, uh, music and more, more fun activities, less demanding Bible studies, shorter sermons, less prayer meetings... So that doctrines like fasting, holiness, confessing our faults one to another, uh, discipline for open outward sin and so on are played down or removed altogether. In short, the church ceases to be a church. A pragmatic approach that says, well, if people like it and it brings them in, that's good, is grooming people for deception and disobedience what about principles what about standing on god's word what about following the example of the early new testament church they continued steadfastly acts 2 tells us in the apostles doctrine prayer fellowship and breaking of bread they built a church on the principle of obedience to God, not on what is popular. Indictment number three. The contemporary church has been derelict in her duty to the Great Commission. In fact, the very idea of duty is hardly there in the language of contemporary ministers or in the mind of the congregation. In Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus says, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. The example of the gospel given by Christ is firstly repentance, Mark 1.15, and secondly faith in Christ alone, Romans 3.22. Now there are many preachers of the contemporary church who go into all the world, but rarely do we hear the kind of preaching that deals with sin. There is often a sanitising of biblical language. Sin becomes issues uh, rather than, than what it is, uh, a sin against a holy God. The abandonment of biblical language forces a disconnect with the scriptures. 
And what results is a message that is frankly not the gospel. Furthermore, what message there is, is taken off the streets and kept in church buildings or online groups made up of followers who've already bought into the vision. Why, when the lost are out on the streets? Many unsaved people will never come to your church or conference or seminar. So many churches then say, well, how can we get the unsaved to come to church? What they should be asking is, how can we get the church to go to the unsaved? Indictment number four. The contemporary church has too many apologists and not enough teachers. The Bible gives us teachers, not apologists. Their role should be within the church and under the proper authority of the church. Instead, we have self-proclaimed or would-be apologists setting up websites, videoing themselves, uh, spouting all sorts of doctrine without any accountability to anyone. This is extremely dangerous. The result is unprecedented levels of false teaching, theology that is not being considered in the context of the Bible, and local churches having their own uh, teaching and preaching undermined. Uh, this is because there are scores now of these ministries, in inverted commas, um, who are just, just teaching whatever they want without any accountability. In uh, uh, in in the recent uh, past year, I think it would have been now, uh, revelations about the Ravi Zacharias scandal have come to light. And it became clear that as a an international apologist, he was spending vast amounts of time, months and months away from his his church, not to mention thousands of dollars on his own fleshly pleasures. But the question is this. Could he have acted with such impunity if he was accountable to a congregation or leadership, uh, if he was required to be in that congregation uh, who really knew him and were in regular uh, fellowship with him? You know, we can only speculate about that, but I think the best place for a teacher to be is within a congregation. And if he does um, bless other people, and other churches that he's not uh, too far away for too long from his own congregation. Okay, indictment number five. The contemporary church has turned the praise of God into entertainment. Well, like the position of apologist, the Bible knows nothing of this idea of the anointed worship leader. It's not wrong to lead the congregation in singing, but it is wrong to present this role as an office which carries authority in the church. Search the scriptures and show me an example of such. Now, with the advent of microphones and PA systems, neither of which are, are bad in themselves, there's been a move away from congregational singing. And what has taken its place is a is a sort of Christianized form of musical entertainment 
there has developed what I might call an audience-performer divide, with some churches going so far as having uh, coloured spotlights on the stars of the show. As praise has degenerated into performance, so also have songs become less congregational, more difficult to sing. Because of reasons given in the previous four indictments, songs have also become less biblical in their language. They are less specific. They tend to be dumbed down and, and simplistic. They are often so vague as to whom the recipient is that one might be left wondering whether the song is even addressed to God at all. Uh, the idea seems to be in contempt to contemporise praise to whatever level can be gotten away with. A.W. A. Tozer once said, Worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. Congregations are really, because of this, treating churches now a bit like theatres. So it's a bit like, oh, I went to a local theatre to take in a show. It was a really good performance. So, yeah, I might, I might go back there soon and see another one. Is there really much difference when people say, I went to my local church to take in a meeting. Yeah, it was really good worship. So I might go back again. Where is the sense of commitment, loyalty, ministry, discipleship? You know, why am I acting like a customer rather than a part of the body? Am I merely seeking entertainment, pleasure? Whether that be in the music or the sermon, that's not the reason that I am in that congregation. Indictment number six, the contemporary church's obsession with eschatology has superseded essential discipleship. Everyone, everyone is watching the news. Everyone's watching Israel, watching the White House, watching the Internet, heading down proverbial rabbit holes. When is the Antichrist coming? Is this the mark of the beast? Is this the start of a new world order? It is significant that these obsessions, conspiracy theories, uh, the Illuminati, the one world government, these are also the obsessions of many unsaved people. And there are some conspiracy theories that might be, we might say, okay, yeah, that could be possible. But they extend to, look, I think you might really need to rejoin reality. Whereas the desire to live a holy life, to walk as Jesus walked, to overcome sin, are only of interest to those who are devoted to Christ. Satan has successfully duped so many Christians into thinking that they are watching and praying when in fact they are watching the news watching videos reading websites reading badly written badly researched books and only praying about those things and there's so much fear and 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 those who are fearful are then becoming fear mongers scaring other people when we're told we are to fear 
the Lord. The level of obsession and ignorance when it comes to the study of last things highlights so well the first indictment that Christians have become disconnected from the historic Orthodox Church. Not only does the traditional evangelical Christian view have a different interpretation of the end times, read John Wesley, Matthew Henry, Joseph Benson and others, but it is far less emphasised than the importance of obedience to Christ. Indictment number seven. The love of many in the contemporary church has grown cold. Divorce rates have risen exponentially among Christians in recent years. That is a fact that cannot be denied. This shows that not only are Christians following the example of the world, but they are bailing out of marriage rather than working through their problems. No wonder then that they bail out of churches for the same reason. Just as an unfaithful wife, to use the example that James uses, wants more time to herself and seeks gratification in the pleasures of the flesh and the things of the world, so the modern church often seeks the same. The Apostle John says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. That love for your brother or sister in Christ is shown by your commitment to them. That means in the good times and the bad times, in times of feast and times of famine, when the church is prospering and when the church is languishing. Otherwise, it is a fake love. It's not genuine. It's, it's just a lie. In fact, it is more than that. It is a measure of the lack of love that you have for God. First John 4.20 says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God? whom he hath not seen. The measure of your commitment to the brethren in your church is a measure of your faithfulness to God. Even if you protest that it is not, the scriptures expose your words as nothing less than a lie. Indictment number eight. The contemporary church has reinterpreted fellowship as being anything Christians do together. So, so Christians play football together is fellowship. They go hiking together is fellowship. They have a barbecue is fellowship. It seems that anything the church does that is of a non-spiritual nature, i.e. not prayer, not worship, not Bible study, now is called fellowship. Now, I'm not saying fellowship can't occur during a hike or a barbecue and so on. But it's the assumption that the church has the right to put on any activity she pleases and involve and, and, and embroil members of the congregation in that 
to justify it and then and then call it fellowship fellowship is not christians gathering to do non-spiritual activities and here's the thing you and i don't get to decide the purpose of the church christ has already determined our purpose he has already determined how we should spend our time together fellowship is part of that fourfold prioritization of the new testament church the apostles doctrine breaking of bread prayer and fellowship this is what the church continued steadfastly in this is what they devoted themselves to uh yeah not healing seminars uh, that's not the sort of thing that they not kind of learn to get the gift of the Holy Spirit seminars. You know, the Bible tells us to redeem the time. That means that the time we have together should be spent in doing things that are spiritually profitable instead of corporately trivial. And diamond number nine. The contemporary church has failed to warn people to count the cost. There is a general tendency in the contemporary church to make things as easy as possible. Minimum effort required is the motto. In fact, removing as many obstacles as possible is suggested as the very thing that God wants. And has undoubtedly, as a, as a sort of general ethos, filled many churches. The problem is, it's not what Jesus taught. He says in Luke 14, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Again, he says, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He even says to his own disciples, as things start to get difficult, will ye also go away? Do you want to leave? Things got too difficult for you too? Christians are told to count the cost. Yet the contemporary church tries to reduce challenges and dumb down the gospel. Never is this more apparent than in some of the newer English translations of the Bible that are emerging. Now, all translations have their issues, but there have been recent translations that have absolutely perverted the word of God so badly that they ought to be officially removed from the hands of worshippers. The first is the Passion Translation. Now, at the time... That I make this podcast, it's not complete yet. But one thing is for sure, this is more of a paraphrase than a genuine translation. But it claims to be a genuine translation. The Passion translates, uh, or rather mistranslates, and mangles the Greek text in a way that deliberately endorses highly questionable teaching. The second translation is the Mirror Bible, which is virtually an antichrist new age bible now these the reason we have these versions uh and 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 the reason why they've become so popular is because simply 
the contemporary church likes contemporary and new things and it likes things that are easy okay this brings us to the final 10th indictment the contemporary church is materially rich but spiritually poor in the book of revelation the lord jesus says to the angel of the church at laodicea thou sayest i am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked it is perhaps fitting although desperately sad that the final indictment should be given by christ himself the laodicean church was a perfect example of how man's idea of success is not necessarily the same as god's the contemporary church has been trying to please people rather than god for decades services are more entertaining less taxing on the mind more appealing to the emotions in fact the word laodicea is made of two words the first being laity or people and the second meaning judgments or decisions it is more literally the church of people's opinions hey what do you think we should do what do you think hey how do you think we should spend our time hey who likes prayer meetings no one then let's do something else instead you cannot do that the function of the church is decided by jesus christ the head of the church not by majority vote the result is the church has grown fat with lazy spiritually unfit unbelievers they never hear the gospel so they are happy to stay they never hear about sin so their conscience is never offended there are so many secular activities in the church so they have lots to entertain them they're told to focus on the news and the politics and the conspiracies they were doing that anyway before they came to church so that's no big deal and as they come piling in the contemporary church thinks that god is blessing them that's not a blessing it's a curse they have become the blind leading the blind wake up heed the words of jesus buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see what's the answer in revelation 2 jesus says to the angel of the church at ephesus remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else i will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent there are three things the contemporary church must do remember repent and do remember reconnect with historic christianity stop claiming quote new interpretations of doctrine john wesley once said if it's true it's not new and if it's new it's not true become people of principle however unpopular that may be 
Integrity speaks louder and lasts longer than gimmickry. Get the gospel back onto the streets and into the pubs and the cafes and the libraries. Stop setting up independent ministries unaccountable to leadership and use your gifts of teaching for the edification of the congregation. Restore congregational worship. Check out some of those older hymns like When I Survey the Wondrous Cross by Isaac Watts, Love Divine by Charles Wesley and Amazing Grace by John Newton. Focus on discipleship and inward and outward holiness rather than on, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, Alex Jones. Learn to love again. Love is a sacrifice. It's not self-seeking and it involves your whole-hearted commitment. Learn what true fellowship is. The Apostle John says, Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If Christ isn't at the centre, it's not fellowship. Warn the flippant, the fool and the sluggard that Christianity, though freely given, will cost you everything. Only then will we have restored honour to the church and honour to the name of Christ. This was Hogcast number five. I'm Pastor Paul Jennings. Uh, you can contact me through my church website, stopportevangelical.co.uk, or through our Facebook page. You can check out my sermons and Bible studies via our YouTube channel, Stockport Evangelical Church, or you can follow us on Instagram. So until next time, stay strong in the Lord and never give up. Uh, God bless you all.